This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, this morning we have a hero of mine on the podcast, and that is Dr. Noel Gregory Smith, aka my dad. I really hope you love this chat. He features quite heavily on my Instagram and in my stories, so it was really nice to sit down with him in one of my childhood homes where I spent a lot of my high school life, and we just had a good old laugh, and we celebrated all things Noel Smith. Love you, Dad. I'm very excited to welcome today's guest to the podcast, the wonderful Dr. Noel G. Smith, a.k.a. my dad. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Loz. I'm thrilled to be here. I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, I feel very privileged. In fact, quite humble given, given the calibre of your last uh, many guests, I think in nearly up to 100 podcasts. You said that to me. I had no and, idea. Uh, no, uh, and I've listened to a lot of them, not all of them, but I've have you noticed, so the first few apps that came out, you said my language is a little bit too much swearing. Have you noticed I've pulled back on the swearing? I have, but there's one rule when you interview me, no okay. colourful language. <laughs> That's one rule. But have you noticed that I have pulled back a you lot? You have, you yeah. have, and I think I think they appeal to a wider um, demographic. demographic than uh, originally. So, yeah, I'm proud of you. Well. I'm, pr- I'm, I'm very <laughs> proud of you actually not because of the podcast, but because of your journey. You, 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 walk, you walk the talk and, yeah. uh, and it's not just the podcast but it's the nutrition and the um, naturopathy and the yoga and, and now you're acting um, classes. We're doing it's lots, a, aren't I? You are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you should be proud of yourself. Uh, you're passionate and, you know, I wish you all the very best. Oh, Dad, this podcast is meant to be about you, not me. <laughs> well, I, I could probably talk about you all morning because I walk past your door every day. You're not living here anymore, but the mantra is if you can dream it, you can do it. It's on my front door, isn't it? And do you know that that bag that's on my front door, the reason why I stuck it on that bedroom door is because it was my first ever book shoot that we shot with like Melanie, like a friend yeah. from years ago and you know, we just shot it ourselves and it's from that first ever book shoot. Is that right? Well, I, I, 12 years ago. Well, I think you believe it and I think you've done it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, well, that's no, right. that's but that's a testament <clears throat> to um, you and I think the way you, you, you know, and this is what I'm excited to explore, like you've run your own business. The year that I was born, you opened this vet clinic. So mm-hmm. we're actually doing this interview in Melbourne above the vet clinic right now and that's where this was my teenage home and I think I've definitely um, also landed here a lot more in my 20s and even early 30s. It's your halfway house. <laughs> You're, you've been doing lots of things but you've always come back for <laughs> short periods of time and, you, and you're most welcome. I love having you. <laughs> But uh, but I know that you're going to go again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm very gypsy, but I've because I've lived in different parts of 
Australia and mm, the mm. world, I'll be like, Dad, I'm coming back for a month and then it'll turn into six months sometimes, won't it? Mm. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's been a difficult 12 months and you've spent time down at my place at Torquay. And, Torquay. And you're now, you're now up at Byron Bay. and We've got to get you to visit us, Dad. I do, but you've been able to explore your favourite word, your biophilia, you know, yeah. the, the power of nature and its healing powers and it's a great antidote, if you like, for failure and other things yeah. that happen in our lives. You can get out and enjoy um, the Totally. Space. And another another <clears throat> thing that I think is an antidote is to failure and stress and feeling down, which this, mm. you know, the past 12 months has been a catalyst for that. But uh, animals and you're a vet. Yes. And you've been an essential <clears throat> service, so you've been open during all of COVID because you are an essential service. Of course. I remember you saying to me, hey, we, when it was really, really strict lockdown, we're taking our consults in the car park. Well, essentially, I mean, it's been an extraordinary year. Uh, it's been a difficult year for everyone, not just those in essential services, but so many people have lost jobs and I've seen that. And I feel a bit guilty that I've been able to maintain my work while others through no fault of their own have uh, lost their jobs. But, yes, <clears throat> It was difficult. We had to, um, no one was allowed in the clinic during lockdown. Yeah. So nurses would, uh, people would ring when they arrived. They'd yeah. be in their car and nurses would greet them at the door, take their animal off them, bring them into the consulting room. We would examine them and do whatever we had to do. We'd often then talk to the owners in the car on their phone. Oh, wow. And the nurses would take the, the animals back to them uh, with medication if required. And uh, sometimes we might go out and socially distance uh, and talk to them face-to-face. But as a rule, uh, no one was allowed in the clinic for, for many weeks and it was very different. Is it true that um, puppy sales went up? <laughs> well, this is the amazing thing about this COVID period. I mean, <clears throat> it's been a collective struggle throughout the world, not just throughout Australia, to cope with this. Yeah. And people have been at home. They've had curfews. They've been at home. They've had an hour of exercise. Uh, there's been a 10% increase in, in, well, dog ownership. Yeah. Now, that's good and bad. Um, good from the point of view the dogs are getting homes, but potentially bad that People have to realise it's a 12-year commitment. You've always said that uh, to me. <laughs> you know, dogs aren't, uh, so many dogs get abandoned at Christmas time. So they're not a 12-month commitment. So post-COVID, it'll be interesting to see, whenever post-COVID is, it'll be interesting to see how um, how we go with these increased animals. When you say um, Christmas time, dogs get abandoned, do you mean they get given as Christmas presents, then people get over, over it they a get few over months it, later? They get over it. And often people are going away at Christmas time and they, oh. might, they might abandon dogs. Really? Yes, the lost dogs home and uh, welfare outlets, uh, their numbers increase excessively oh. over the holiday period. Can yeah. I... Um, can I, I had no idea about that, but it makes perfect sense. Mm. Can I go a little bit further back into your career? Because is it true that you started as an equine vet? So that's someone that looks after horses. Well, I spent many years as an equine vet, but I started off in mixed practice. When I graduated, uh-huh. I started off in mixed practice, which is domestic pets, um, outdoor work, cattle, sheep uh, and, and horses, 
And the practice I was working in, we were the official veterinarians for harness racing in Victoria then. Yeah. So you'd, you'd go to all the harness race meetings and you'd go out in the mobile uh, barrier car and that was interesting. You'd be sitting with the starter and you'd be ready for any mishap at the start. Um, but... Um, but no, initially I was um, I was uh, mixed in mixed practice, and did a little bit of cattle work and sheep work and and a lot of horse work. Didn't uh, a, a donkey kick you in the face or something? And <laughs> <laughs> broke every bone in your face. Is this uh, true? This is true. I I, <laughs> I I actually got called out to Ashton Circus, and they were doing a metropolitan circuit. And how um, old were you? Well, it was my second year of graduation, uh, after graduation, and uh, so I'd been out two years. Oh, so we're talking like what, 20, uh, 20 early 20s? 28, 27. Yeah, okay. And, um, yeah, so I went out to look at uh, a, a horse that had cut itself in transit, mm-hmm. so able to stitch that up, that was mm. fine. And then while you're there, you often get asked to do other things. Yeah. This happens all the time. We just had a coffee date and someone's like, oh, you're a vet. Can you tell me what I'm allowed to do? <laughs> like literally yeah. 20 minutes before yeah, this pod. Yeah, that's right, with a little puppy. Yeah. And it was only eight weeks old yeah. and I, I suggested she not socialise it too yeah. much just yet. Yeah, But, um, yes, uh, they said to me at Ashton's, can you look at our, our mule? What's, mule? So what's a mule? A mule's a cross between a mare and a donkey. So and, a mare uh, is a female uh, horse. horse. And uh, a donkey is uh, a, a small, male yeah. donkey. And a mule is a cross and they've got an uneven number of chromosomes. So they're sterile. Okay. They, they can't reproduce. But this, this Ashton Circus employee said, look, we'd like you to look at our mule. We think she's pregnant. I said, if she's a mule, she's not pregnant, she's sterile. But I, yeah. went, and, I <laughs> went and had a look and this mule was actually tethered to a post and uh, I was standing at its wither or its neck and uh, it walked forward and just, I was talking to the Ashton Circus employee, wasn't looking at the mule, walked forward, backed up to me and double barrel me in the face and it broke every bone in my face uh, and uh, yeah, that was um, quite a long recovery. But um, weren't you having like food through straws and well, like? Well, I had all this external fixation. Like I looked like a walking TV antenna. Yeah, got with, it. Um, bars across my forehead and down my nose, and, and I had, um, you know, uh, my teeth were wired together, and wow. I couldn't open my mouth. Dental and this switch. would be early eighties, right? Yeah, this is early eighties, and yeah. my mother at the time would. Um, Blend she'd, up your she'd food. She'd blend up steak and yeah. veggies and I'd, I'd just have a little gap in the corner of my mouth with a straw oh. and I'd sip my <laughs> steak and I'd sip my veggies uh. and fluids, of course. But uh, And I remember getting home from the hospital and I had a golden retriever dog then and um, my golden retriever dog saw me and ran away. He didn't recognise me. Oh, because you had all the. How long did this, you have uh, to have the medal? Six to eight weeks. Wow. You know, it was uh, it was severe injuries. I was very lucky. I didn't get me in the temples or the spinal cord, the cervical yeah. spine, because yeah. I could have been paralysed and I could have had head injuries. Uh, yeah, I was thinking brain injury as brain well. Injuries. Yeah, but uh, and they thought I may have had some vision, seepage. vision, vision. So I was lucky that I got kick where I did in the middle third of the face. Wow. Because uh, they were able to reconstruct it. I mean, they've done a pretty good job. 
<laughs> yeah, I keep telling. I keep telling people I used to be good looking, but <laughs> but, uh, but but you something's know what? happened. <laughs> At twenty seven, that would be a very confronting thing. Like twenty seven, you're coming into like you know you, you you're gonna you've graduated as a vet. You know mm. you wouldn't have probably met mum yet at that no, stage, you know, like, no. you know, that's the age where you're figuring out who you are, you got, you're often dating people and meeting new people and then you've lost like, mm. you know, your appearance for sure. a while. That would be yeah. quite confronting as a 20, in your 20s. It was confronting. I'm sure it affected my self-esteem yeah. and my, my self-confidence. But I picked myself up and, you know, I keep telling your mother that she never saw the best of me. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you and mum are how many years divorced now? Heaps. Uh, I was prepped. Yeah, well, you you were about six. Yeah. And, you know, I won't say what you are now, but you were about six. I'm 35. I'm very comfortable (laughs) with that. Don't worry. And and Tristan, your brother, was about three. So that was a very, very difficult time for me. Uh, And this podcast is about failure and I think divorce is essentially uh, a personal failure. Uh, there are reasons, obviously. But- yeah, but I was thinking about this last night because you mentioned to me yesterday that you were like one of my failures would probably be feeling like going, when I went through a divorce and I thought, is that not a success though because you had the courage to both be like mm. this is not serving us? Sure. And you've kept but, a friendship. Like you yeah. have a really nice friendship and every year mum makes you Christmas mm. cookies and things. And yeah, I mean, my relationship with your mother is very good. It, it became with you kids because the you you children were the most important thing. Yeah, uh, and we and split our time really, didn't we? You did, yeah, yeah. She, we were both custodian parents. Do you remember we, when... Oh, sorry, I cut you off. You go, keep going. Well, we we had to have a. I had to have a network so that I could work. So I, my parents got involved, and Linda, my long term nurse uh, and great friend, um, got involved. She was like a surrogate mother, really, when you were with me. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we we had some good times, even though there was that uh, that concern and that worry of getting over divorce. My memory is at the very beginning, we only got to be with you every second weekend and we'd go back to mum's crying because we wouldn't want our weekends with dad to end. Well, I think I, I drove off crying because it was... <laughs> yeah, it, was it was confronting. It was yeah. too short a time. Yeah. And, and then after 12 months, it was joint custody. And then it was half-half, wasn't it? was half-half and, uh, and it was a lot better for everyone. But Yeah. But, yeah, I, look, Divorce is confronting, and this is a. You worry about your your personal health and and your personal finances. Yeah. Uh, and but you also worry about your children. You wonder what effect it will have on them going forward, and uh, you know it affects kids differently. And I think you both, you and Tristan, have have found your niche. And um, but but it still might affect you. You'd be the one to to answer that question. Oh, you, well, you know, I'm very into mental health, so I have a therapist. So I'm all good. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> I'm very comfortable. But I but my um, childhood memories are oh, two Christmases, two Easter's, like <laughs> two holidays. Yeah. I remember we yeah. we felt very spoiled. But I do have a question about parenting for you. Yes, because my brother and I are chalk and cheese. So Tristan is in the navy. He's a clearance diver. He's very linear. He's very mm. black and white, matter mm. of fact. Mm. Whereas I'm quite sensitive and emotional and quite creative. Mm. Um, and even at school, like he was a sports kid, I was mm. the drama kid and the artsy kid. Sure. Um, how, how? Like as a parent, I imagine like 
because a lot of parents listen to this podcast, I imagine raising a creative child versus quite a sporty, linear, mm. black and white is, is a very different experience. It is a very different experience and you know I love my sport. So yes, I, you do. So I was able to really get involved with with that side of his character but also I, I was very proud of what you were doing, pursuing your drama and your you creative side. You came to side. all my plays. I, 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 I loved the involvement with you children even though, you know, I was divorced. I, I It was a highlight. Uh, of growing up, but but I think Tristan is different because of the military too. It, it, it's a discipline. Yeah, it's, everything is black and white. Uh, it's an unemotive sort of yeah. job. Totally. And yeah. uh, and you know he plays that role now. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot of positives too because uh, you know I think he's. He marches uh, he, to the beat of his own drum. He does, too. but I think he's a better human being now in relationship to acceptance of other people and and interaction with other people uh, than what he was as a, a teenager, mm. where, where he, I, I couldn't really get him into his schooling as much as you. Yeah, uh, I was a bit of a nerd. We'd, I just walked to the tan yesterday with Tim and he sent me a photo right before we, like a few days ago, and it was a photo of him and I studying at the State Library and we had yes. matching pencil cases <laughs> and we both na- we named them Rupert for some reason. They were fish pencil cases. And he said, look, I found a photo of Rupert at the State Library. And remember? Every day after school, I'd meet him, who was like mm-hmm. a prefect and mm, the was, school uh, captain of Xavier, uh, so he, smart, he, doctor, he yes. and we'd study every night together. Yeah. So I was quite, I'm not naturally academic, but I really gave it my all. You did in year 12, you gave it your all and you succeeded. Uh, and, you know, that's an accolade to you because it, like me as a student, I wasn't a natural student. I had mm. to, I had to study. I had to, Remember things, whereas you know, in the veterinary course, there are some brilliant minds. minds yeah, not always practical, but brilliant minds. They mightn't make the best vet in practice, but they would be great in research. And I imagine science. the same as doctor people studying same, medicine. Same with medicine, yeah. So, but but you you were like me. You had to study and repetition and learn and. Reproduce it when you had to. Yeah, I worked um, my I worked my backside off for did. that year you twelve. Did. I remember I, getting the result. Do you? I do. It was here. Yeah, it was here, and we were over the moon, weren't we? It was first thing in the morning. I think you had to make ring. a phone call. Yeah, you ring to get your uh, number, and uh, we're over the moon at your results because we knew it was going to get you into performing arts, which, which was a really high enter. You needed a, a really high, high score, yeah, so an enter yeah. score is like you're out of a yeah, hundred. Yeah, and I remember we both had a teary, didn't we? We did. We <laughs> did. I think we had a joint uh, emotional <laughs> moment. <laughs> so. Uh, I do want to ask a little bit more about veterinary science and or not yeah. veterinary science per se, but being a vet because I think um, there's some really cool stuff that that you've done and experienced. Mm. So um, before we get into pets for therapy and yeah. the healing benefits of having animal, I just want to ask when you were more of that equine days yeah. working, yeah. what would a day in the life be like? Because when Growing up in Melbourne, living so close to the race course, course. growing up with you, um, the races was always more of a like you you would take us to the is it the mounting yard? The mounting yard. You used to you used to tag along a lot, but but the race racing for me it was a networking process because there are a lot of clients there. Yeah, 
with their horse trainers, etc. cetera. Uh, and so we'd go regularly and we'd there'd be a bit of work with a bit of pleasure. Yeah, uh, you, you, and you would always take us also that anyone that's listening, because I know to talk about the races is quite a controversial topic, but there's is. a wonderful charity close to the airport here in mm. Melbourne called Living Legends that takes mm. retired racehorses on and mm. it's a really nice um it's just a nice thing to do to su- also to support because it's charity driven. Yeah, it is. They yes, it is, and unfortunately they can't take enough of these horses. But just to give you a little bit of perspective of how a horse lives in a, a stable environment, um, I think you know there's a lot of misconceptions as to how horses are treated out there in a stable environment, and they're they're. A beautiful animal. They're very regal. They're mm. amazing in full flight. Um, not necessarily on a racetrack. They can be in a paddock, but they're an amazing animal. They're dangerous. They're five hundred kilogram plus. Yeah. So you've got to be have your wits about you when you, you're handling them. But but horses here in stables. I mean, they're they're walked, they're worked. They swim in the pool at the course, or they they swim at the beach. Uh, they're given the best quality food. Uh, they're given good care with the, their groom daily. One strapper will look after two horses oh, wow. maximum. Yeah. And those two horses are their responsibility. Um, they, um, the horses really get good farrier care, which is hooves and feet. Yeah. Uh, they get good dental care, which is they, the, the dentist, the horse dentist comes in and looks after their teeth and they get really good veterinary care. We would go to these stables twice a day. Really? Uh, morning morning and afternoon. Dad just knocked a book over. Oh, sorry, <laughs> no, no, you're right. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you're um, a hand talker, I've discovered. I, yeah, I do. I, I gesticulate. <laughs> me too. Yeah, I me gesticulate. Too. But, um, but, yes, they they live a, a privileged Privileged existence when they're when they're in stables. The the concern is once they retire. Yeah, which no, is no, the which, which is the controversial point. But uh, you, I remember when because just to talk about this opening, I used to go to the races with you, but also for work stuff. Like you'd mm, get invited to an event mm, there, and I would often get a lot of negative feedback on social media and you would yeah. be like, I wish people could see mm, the experience that you've had. Can you take me through what a day in the – because growing up in Melbourne and growing up around in Flemington area and stables, mm. it feels like a day in the life of an equine vet would start very early. What's a day in the life mm, like? Sure, it does start very early and um, sometimes you might have to be down at Mornington to watch a horse work that may be making a, a respiratory noise or something like that. What's so does work mean, like run? And- run and they, they work in the morning, they train. Okay. It's training. Yep. And, um, you know, you have sprinters and you have staying horses and they do different sets of training. Yeah. But it's just like an athlete here and a human yeah. athlete um, going out and training each day. Um, but, yeah, so I would start at Flemington probably 6 to 6.30 in the morning. We used to do, and people out there that follow racing, we used to do Bart Cummings, Colin Hayes and Tom Tommy Smith's work. They were... Iconic trainers. Yeah. Uh, they've all passed, but they're right. Bart Cummings yeah. has trained 12 Melbourne Cup winners. But yeah, I I'd, know that name. I'd start at Flemington. We'd go across to Caulfield, down to, well, Epsom in those days. It's closed. Then you'd go down to Mornington. Then you'd go across to Pakenham, across to Cranbourne, 
maybe back to uh, Caulfield and then back to Flemington. That would be one day's mm. travel. And in between your, your uh, work at, in the racing hubs mm. where all the racing stables are, uh, you'd be off shooting to... Um, to studs and uh, What's looking a stud? at mares and foals where they breed. Also, um, where horses are bred uh, for, for racing. Racing, you might have a one or two stallions on a stud, and you'd have maybe a hundred mares. So, so a mare isn't a, a a, like a, a woman, like female a fully horse. grown female. Yes, a filly is a baby female. Yes, up until two years of age, uh, fillies. And what's the boys? Colts. Babies, baby colds up until two years, and then they're stallions. Ah, uh, and Matt, Dad's taught Matt <laughs> this, and he he'll often say a and, and imitate you. <laughs> he, he does try and imitate, but he, make, he makes me laugh. <laughs> but he's learning things. I'm learning things about music production, yeah. and, and he's learning things about. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so uh, that's good. So just because I know. I feel like horses are wonderful, wonderful creatures. Although I'm allergic to them, which you know, you are. You <laughs> I know. Are. Sadly, you're you're allergic to the horse dander or the horse hair. Yeah, we've learned skin. that the hard way a few times. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've had to get the antihistamines yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, uh, but um, they're quite calming to be around. Like when you're with a horse, I know race horses are more that hot blooded, mm, that's uh, right, fiery nature, but. Um, I've done a shoot before with horses in Byron and the they that so they had like the photographer and a model and whatnot and I was shooting with my friend and then um the person that was kind of like the horse trainer who was there looking after the horses on shoot, there was probably four horses on shoot, said, I've never seen someone drop in so fast. And I said, What's drop in? He's like, You're calming to the energy of the horse, like you mm. as, Mm. Like your energy is calming down because horses' hearts are about four times the size of ours mm. and their heart rate is obviously slower. Mm. And it's like it, they're used in equine therapy to yeah. to really mm. calm people down with anxiety, mm. ADHD. Well, it's just not horses we can expand. That's what that, I was going to say. That, that to, was my to, segue, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you're right. There is a disabled program for horses where yeah. disabled kids hop on horses and get a feel for yeah. them and uh, uh, there are a lot of programs out there involving horses. And There's now yoga you can do on horses. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, have I you, haven't done it. Have I you taught done... a yoga no, class? No, no. Um, oh well, that's that's good. That's good. <laughs> Any anything that helps individuals' well-being is um, you know got to be a bonus, doesn't it? But let's talk about pet therapy in general because our um, our dog before Chet, beautiful mm. Bobby, that mm. you and I both loved, mm. we would often take him when we go to visit Grandpa. Mm. Uh, I always say the wrong word. Uh, retirement home, uh, aged care facility, retirement. Uh, yeah, aged care facility we call it because most of them were in the latter. Times of their life, and yeah. a lot of them, a lot of them had a little bit of dementia. Like or eighty Alzheimer's. plus, we're talking here. Yes, eighty five yes. plus, yeah. But it's it's been well. It's a great program, pets for therapy. It's it's gone quiet a little bit with COVID. Yeah, of course, obviously. But um, it's it's brilliant what they've done. It's it's well proven that an aged person in the presence of a dog, whether they're with them or patting them, it slows their heart rate, it slows their respiration rate, it, slow, it decreases their blood pressure 
and they feel more content. It's it's been proven scientifically isn't studies, and medically. Isn't there studies on like if you've got a pet in your older age that you often live longer because you've got purpose mm. and you're looking after mm. and those other things are controlled that blood pressure and yeah and you've got a little bit of um, contentment and peace and companionship and great companionship but. Um, Dogs have been used in the police force, military and, yeah. and customs for years because they've got such great olfactory or smelling receptors, yeah. far better than us. Um, so they've been used there, but they're now being used pre-COVID uh, in schools for literacy yeah. where reading recovery situations yeah. where kids who are struggling to read, they read to an attentive dog or they think the dog's attentive. Really? And, uh, and, and they come out of themselves. They really read better than reading to another person because uh. they think the dog's listening and they think they're, uh. they're, they're reading to the dog. And the the other big development with pets for therapy is in medicine. Really? And this is extremely interesting. Um, dogs, because their olfactory and smelling mm. receptors are so good, so sensitive, they can smell from the breath uh, abnormal chemicals that the body's giving off. They can also smell skin changes and and with urine samples they can smell. Really? And they can pick up things like lung cancer because of the breath. Mm. They can pick up things like melanoma because of skin odour. Oh, really? They can pick up things like renal disease, kidney disease from urine. They can also pick up uh, glucose mm. uh, for diabetics, mm. so they can pick these things up prior to even prior to things being diagnosed. So it's a it's a new direction. Oh. Um, I remember when we took Bobby to Gramp see Grandpa. Grandpa yeah. was one more excited to see Bobby than you or I. Yeah, hundred percent. Would yes. you agree? I would. He loved it. His yeah. face just lit <laughs> yeah. up. And I used to take Linda's dog to Shen, yeah, 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 the two yeah. dogs, and they both that was came. Was a dog to, de Bordeaux? Is that right? Dog de Bordeaux, big dog, but gentle giant, yeah. beautiful dog. And Bobby was a Labrador Golden Retriever cross, a black. He one. was beautiful. He was He's beautiful. Do- very docile. But very docile. I know. I remember, like, even walking through to get to Grandpa's room, people would be stopping you and wanting to have a pat, wanting to say mm. hello. And well, when I took him up to my mother's yes, aged care facility, yeah. I used to have to take him round to every room <coughs> and go in the rooms yeah. and each individual would say hello. Some of them weren't interested. Yeah. They said, oh, no, no. Yeah. Um, but the majority were and he was a real pets for therapy dog because he wasn't just seeing my mother, he was seeing everyone else. Yeah. And One- then, then he'd do his tricks for them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the main room, uh, TV room, he'd do his tricks. He'd Aww. roll over and... He used to carry a lead, didn't he? Or was that more no, other dog? No, Linda had another dog, a Newfoundland. Lanook, yeah. And I'd do some school talks. You bought Lanook yeah. to my school. I, I, and, Newfoundlands, and if anyone's listening, are beautiful. They're a, well, where big, are they? European or? Newfound, from Newfoundland, oh, which is course. near Canada. Yeah. Near Canada. Big, and, and black, very Massive <laughs> dogs. And this, this dog had his own little <laughs> carry bag. Yeah. And within the bag he had a, a flannel because he would drool a little drooler. bit. He was a drooler. He was a drooler. And he had his little water bowl uh. and he had his lead and he he walked into Lola's class carrying his bag in his, his mouth. Yeah, they're so funny. <laughs> it was funny. I remember that. That was in grade 
six, I think, at Middle Park Primary School. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how funny. Mm. And uh, he was a beautiful dog. But, yeah, both um, both dogs, Shein and Bobby, would often go to the aged care facilities and, and the oldies loved them. Yeah. But my father. Oh, um, yeah, Grandpa. I'd be like, tell me a war story, Grandpa. And he's like, where's the dog? <laughs> Sometimes he'd like look at me and be like, oh, she's asked me the same question again. And he would look out the window. I could tell I was really annoying him sometimes. Oh, Do you remember no. that time I went to visit him because I'd always take a bunch of flowers and I got him jonquils and you called me and you were like, don't think you should buy jonquils. They've stunk out the whole room, Lola. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, he always talked about roses too, didn't he? Or red well, he roses. He was a pruner. He was yeah. a pruner. He yeah. Was, yeah he, he worked on orchards as a boy and that sort of thing, in orchards as, as a boy. So he became a very good sort of gardener. Pruner. Yeah, very cool. I have to um, ask another vet question. Yes. What's the weirdest dog name that, because we were walking this morning and we were, you said, oh, there's a brown version of Czech called Jelly. Jelly. And I said, that's, I thought, oh, that's a funny name for a, it sounds yeah. like a kid might have named that dog. Yeah, it's, well, uh, I mean, I, look. There's only one Chet on my books. Well, it, he was a Czech, wasn't he? He, he was called Czech and I thought, and that's a silly name for a dog. So we called him Chet. So, and we called him Chet. You chose it. Well, there's uh, a beautiful singer called Chet Faker and yes. so I thought Melburnians might be like, ah, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. this is Melbourne. Well, well Chet, uh, he answers to Czech anyway, so... We thought he would answer to Chet, and he does every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and now he, he gets Chetty, yeah. checkerboard, Matt calls in, he gets <laughs> yeah. a bit of everything. He does, he does. Yeah, yeah but what's it, have you had any, like, even yesterday walking with Tim, his first dog was called, he named it Olive. Olive. And his mum didn't like it, so when it had to go to the um, vet really early on, um, the um, the vet nurse said, well, what's your puppy's name? And when Tim wasn't looking, his mum turned around and said, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> and he said and when, we, when the dog came home, Ollie responded to Ollie, not Olive anymore. <laughs> well, my question would be, was Olive female? Oh, last. Because, because oh, Ollie, Ollie is more male, but I suppose, you know. It was, unisex, I think it was unisex a Unisex these days, it doesn't really matter. Oh, <laughs> very funny that we were talking about funny dog names. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, have you had any mm. weird ones? Like, do you know mm. when I lived in Sydney, I had a roommate called Oscar and we'd always walk his dog, Humphrey, at the dog park at... um, In Bondi or... No, uh, Rush Cutters around there. And one day we were walking Humphrey and he was a very um, social dog. So he'd be jumping and having fun, shock brown lab. And um, you'd meet the owners and I was like, hey, I'm, I'm Lola and this is Oscar. And she go, the owner goes, you two have got dog names. Because well, there's a lot of Lola dogs now, right? There are. And every time a Lola comes in, I sort of think of <laughs> <laughs> well, the Lola, in, a, in a good way. The Lola I met was this big bulldog, this right. big British bulldog, and I thought, how funny. Yeah. Uh, look, I'd love to go to my records now because I could come up with probably multi yeah. strange names. But, but there'd be uh, a lot of like Ziggies and yeah, stuff like oh, that. Yeah, there's common common names. We ran into Bonnie today and we went in ran into Mika today. We did. We so did. Um, you know, nothing surprises me when it comes to dog <laughs> names. And uh, what about does some have hu- very human names? I oh, like this is oh, Roger. Very much. Oh, very much. Really? Yeah. Some people call their dog dog. 
No. They do. It's very unimaginative. But, but you know, have you heard there's a few celebrities have called their baby baby? Really? Yeah, is recently. A, is that a, That's a real new trend? new trend. Oh, well. There maybe, you go. Maybe, maybe it's in the dog world as well. <laughs> it's, it sounds like um, sounds like it is. Now I need to ask you a quick um, a passion question. So other than veterinary science and, and you know, being mm. an animal mm. enthusiast, you yeah. are also a football enthusiast, well, sport in general. And mm. on my birthday... <laughs> Uh, the I day I was born. I know born. you're going to say. <laughs> well, on the day I was born, was it a prelim final? It was a preliminary final, yes. With the Bombers. With the, I, I follow Essendon. It's been, they've been a bit sad the last couple of years, but I do follow Essendon. I'm very loyal. <laughs> and, uh, yes, I'll let you continue. <laughs> <laughs> so you missed the prelim final for my birth, is that right? You had to give I your did. ticket away? I did. I missed the preliminary final. You know, 1985. Quite happy to do it, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue in cheek. <laughs> no, no, quite happy to do it. So then two um, weeks later were you able to get to the grand final? The next week. The uh, next week. The next week I got to the grand final and, and that year, 1985 it was. Yes. Ola, and uh, they won. So um, so I forgave you. <laughs> mum, mum famously said she's like, I went for Carlton, but I knew that the second you two were born you were going to have to go for the Bombers. And Beverly, your mum, mm. massive... Yeah. Bombers fanatic. Yeah. I think as Melburnians, we're just so privileged to have such um, such sporting arenas as our playground. Yeah. Like um, I, I just love walking to the MCG. I love walking to, through the entrance of Flemington Racecourse. I like walking along the Yarra to the tennis centre. Oh, I yeah. I mean, we're, we're just so lucky to have these beautiful facilities close to the city. Most of the other big cities, New York, uh, London with Wimbledon and uh, France uh, with Roland Garros and things like that, you have to travel. Yeah. Uh, And we can walk along the Arra and and we're there. And, uh, yeah, you used to go and you'd always, I'd take you to the MCG and we'd always sit where you knew the camera was fanning. Oh, that's right. And you'd come up on the big screen on the scoreboard multi-times and that was the highlight of yeah. your day rather than watching the football. But I enjoyed the football. You enjoyed being I there. forgot about that and I'd meet my friend Amanda down yes. in the second row at yeah. the front and we'd be like, we're going to get on the big screen today. Exactly. Oh, my goodness, I've totally forgot about yeah. that. And you, and you and Amanda were, you know, commonly up on the big screen. Yeah. And once you saw yourselves, you'd be waving Raps. crazily. And, day uh, made. Day made. Yeah. Oh, so, my goodness. But, How does it feel with sport and COVID? Like you've obviously lost, you did get to go to the Australian Open before the snap lockdown, but, I like, did. does it feel like, because that is, feels like it's the heartbeat of Melbourne. Yeah. I, look, to be honest, it's it's affected me in that the interest has waned a little bit. It just yeah. hasn't been quite as intensive, the interest. I still follow it. I'm, I'm interested in all sport. Is it weird um, watching things with no, like all of AO would have had no audience members well for, for, for the lockdown? Yeah, the Australian Is it a weird tennis. energy? It is a weird energy. And when we went back and I went to a night session, you know, we were socially distancing, we were masking and we were sanitising as yeah. we've had to do. Yeah. But uh, this COVID period, uh, this pandemic, it's we're probably not going to realise 
the effect of it until it becomes history. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Spanish flu in the 1920s. You know, we can talk about that now. This pandemic hasn't got really a, a start, middle or end yet. And yeah. um, we're still living it. Um, and it's it's affected us in so many ways, mental health being the, the big yeah. one. And I think we've just taken so many things for granted previously. You know, and uh, even our health workers and our health system, we've taken that for granted. I think all those people that are working in those areas just have to be commended so highly. They've just done such an amazing job and put themselves at, uh, you know, unbelievable risk. Yeah. And uh, hopefully, you know, at the end of this, we we as a, a society can appreciate funding for science and health mm. so that we can get on top of these things going forward. But but COVID's going to be around for a long time. Mm. I mean, I think probably the weapon is going to be vaccination, but it's not going to be the saviour mm. uh, because these respiratory viruses, they do mutate. you just mm. got to look at the influenza virus, the different strains every year. Totally. So, so and you get, going... you get vax, like you'll get a vax for the flu, right, because I mm. think you have to yeah, in your I job. I do. But you can still get a cold. You can still, still get a version still, of the flu. I still get a lot of snuffles and yeah. throats and that during the winter even though I'm vaccinated. But people are talking about vaccination big time, Um regarding this pandemic and... Especially in Byron. Yeah. Well, let me say, when I graduated, Mm -hmm. getting back to veterinary, Mm -hmm. when I graduated, uh, there was a disease called parvovirus. Yeah. And it was rife. You know, all the puppies were in the clinic. They had hemorrhagic gastroenteritis, which... Does that mean blood gastro? Blood gastro. Yeah, oh, wow. vomiting, vomiting and, and scouring. Yeah, uh, but with blood. With blood. And and we were losing 50% of everything that got it, Yeah, 50%. Now, parvovirus is still out there. It's still out there. We still see a sporadic case. Yeah. But because the vaccination program is, is intense and people are aware of it, we vaccinate puppies at 8, 12 and 16 weeks and then give them an annual booster, we're hardly seeing any parvovirus. Mm. And another virus that was around when I graduated was one called distemper, killing heaps of dogs. Hardly ever see it now because of vaccination. So um, you can always get negatives to vaccination. You get yeah. some people that react unexpectedly. Yeah. And, and same with puppies and dogs. Yeah, but do you know what? As you know, I've had to have quite a lot of vaccinations for American visas and whatnot. And yep. Uh, my last, I had to go in December and the doctor said, oh, I need to give you a flu jab legally because it's on your paperwork that you don't have one. I said, I've never had one. Yeah. And he goes, okay, we're just going to make sure you you have to sit here for 20 minutes post the jab. Yeah. And they watch you and he'll come out and check you every 10 or so minutes and just check that your mm. temperature's fine. Yeah. Um, and sure. I hadn't experienced that before but it did make me feel sure. like I was supported in the scenario that I was in. Well, it just proves the point that some people obviously do react. They might, you know, they might get, uh, well, certainly in dogs, they can get um, anaphylactic reactions like swellings and allergies to uh, a vaccine and I'm sure it happens in people too where, and if that happens, you might have to have like an antihistamine, something Mm -hmm. anti-allergy. But I think, you know, the positives... Me being a 
scientifically minded, yeah. the positives far outweigh the negatives. No, and I appreciate you sharing that because I didn't expect us to go down the vaccination road and I haven't spoken about it either. And I do mm. want to acknowledge that I um, fully respect anybody's decision and mm. I would never put my own opinion on anybody else. No. But, um, no. you know, I'm in a situation as well where I, I'll have to vaccinate in order to mm, travel. travel and That's do right. my work passion. So I think it's about... Um, and, and like, obviously being so close to my mate Tim and, mm. and his doctor. And I just mm. think, um, like it's, it's a, it's a tricky one because there's a lot of personal attachment to like, I'm in my <laughs> dad, I'm in my mid thirties and like mm. a lot of people are talking about fertility mm. effects and, and mm. whatnot. And, and that's confronting to it hear, is. to hear that. And, but it's actually been both you, mum and Tim that have kind of given me the scientific stuff to help mm. put my mind at mm. ease a little bit. Mm. But, um, yeah, I just want to quickly just say, like, I'm not putting our opinion on anybody. No, Everyone's entitled to their all. own opinion. I, I respect, I respect yeah. anyone's opinion. Yeah. I mean, they can do their own research these days. Yeah. The internet is a great medium for getting information. Yeah. Um, positive and negative. But, it, so. but even in Byron Bay, like, 5G isn't allowed. Right. And I, as soon as I land in Sydney or Melbourne, 5G just flicks on your phone straight away. And it so it's just, you know, um, I think it's just like where you are. And, and I think what your goals in life are like, you know, I know that I want to travel for a living and it's important for my work. And so mm. I know that that's something that if I want to be free to travel that I'm going to have to do. Now I see Dad has this beautiful list in front of him. He's got lovely handwriting. We're coming up to the end of the pod. So what have I missed, Dad? Um, He's got like an A4 well, double side on you know, it. Just a few points that I thought just a few, you, about might, 85. That, that you might cover, you know. Did I cover some of it? You covered most of them. But I, I think, you know, your mantra, if you can dream it, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, and my football metaphor, keep kicking goals. Goals. And, and when I moved yeah. to the Gold Coast for the first time, you wrote that on my card and I was crying. It was the first time I've moved away into another mm. state. Yeah. Now I've lived in that many states that you're like, I'll see you in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I, I've probably got a few little mantras of my own. And, yeah. You know, um, I always like to say to people the, the secret to a life well lived is not to count the years, you think 90-year-olds have lived a great life, but it's not to count the years but to make the years count. Yeah. Uh, and I've got another little saying that I like and it's ten two-letter two letter words. If it is to be, it is up to me. Yeah. And I think that fits you. Yeah, I like I think, that. I think Was there anything that grandma or grandpa instilled? Because you obviously got a lot of drive. You've set up your own practice, you know, your your own <laughs> boss technically. I am. I, I wouldn't say that I'm trained in business business management or leadership. You're too friendly. Or le- <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> friendly. To, I think to be a leader you need to obviously instill respect in your employees and but you need to get a balance between respect and friendship. Yeah. And I'm a little bit too far to friendship to, <laughs> to really get full-on respect. But uh, but I've got through 35 years in business and we're still going strong. So. I think you get you have a lot of respect, but I think you are a very heart-driven person and so mm. you really care that everyone's happy mm. and, and, and feeling comfortable yeah. in the environment they're yeah, in. I, I don't like confrontation. No, you don't. And I don't like berating people. You and, don't berate anyone. And I though. don't like 
disciplining people. But to a degree in business you have to be prepared to do those things. Oh, yeah, Mm. especially if you own your own business because Mm. you've got to have your own back and I think nobody else is going to do that if you, like they say like no one will ever work as hard on your dream as you. Yeah. And so the practice is yours. It is, it is. And, and you know, it's been a privilege to to have my work and be driven as a veterinarian. It's been a, a joyful journey mm. as I think yours is. I, I think yours is a joyful journey too. But uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the profession. Uh, it's become very humanised where we're just GPs now. When I started you had a go at everything but we've got our specialist Orthopedic. We've got our specialist dermatologist. We've got a specialist um, oncologist. We've got a specialist ultrasonographer. Uh, we're using MRIs, CT scans. Um, so it's become very humanised, and we often see an animal and say, "Right, it needs an ultrasound. We'll send it send it off, it off yeah, uh, or, outsource, or, or yeah. an ophthalmologist that needs a, a specialist to have a look." What's at an that. ophthalmologist? Uh, study of eyes ah. and eye diseases. Yeah. Oncologist cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, orthopedic bone surgery. Yeah. So it's become very humanised. It's uh, it's great for the animals. It's a little bit more costly probably for yeah. owners. Yeah. But we do promote insurance whereby they can get sort of 80% back. Oh, that's cool. Pet, pet insurance. Pet insurance. Ah. Yeah, so that's a new area. Final question. Yes. What is the weirdest animal that has been brought in? I've seen you have possums and stuff yeah, in here Yeah, we before. have possums. I'll tell you what, I had a, uh, a pet carp, a fish. A come pet in, carp? Yeah, come in in a five-gallon um, bucket. Yeah. And, they, and I was told that this had these, this motley skin, the scaling yeah, on yeah. the – and I think he had a fish pond, this guy. Yeah. And um, it came in and uh, – he said, oh, look, it's got these marks on its skin. It was just in a bucket of water. Yeah. And um, so that was. What did you do, uh, read up? What did you have to do? No, I, I, I knew that we had to put something in the water to treat this skin. Yeah. And there, there are products that you can put and in the water. And it fixed it? Well, it didn't come back. So, <laughs> so, so it went one way or the other. <laughs> but my nurses sometimes play tricks on me and uh, they'll book in something that is fictitious. Really? And I've, you know, I once came in in the morning and I saw that I had a green tree snake. <laughs> and I thought, oh, gee, this isn't for me. I'm not looking <laughs> looking forward to this. And uh, anyway, it was one of those <laughs> fictitious consultations. Good on them. So, uh, Keep you on your toes. So they get their own back. Oh, awesome. Mm. Uh, thank you so much, Dad. Oh, it's been a pleasure and uh, I love talking to you anyway. I know. It was like an added <laughs> bonus chat. It's just like a chat at a coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Love you lots and um, can't wait to visit Melbourne again soon. Oh, can't wait till you come. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment. And, of course, spread the love. Mm-hmm.